Strange, Wild, and Dangerous is an autobiographical podcast by me, your host, Eloise Chung. Hey, it's me again, your friendly nomad ghost, leaving town yet again in a couple days. This is kind of what my life has become since the pandemic started. In spring 2020, my work went remote, my dog died, LA is expensive, so my climbing friends and I hatched a plan to spend the summer in Tahoe. At the time, you could find rentals in Tahoe for pretty cheap because no one was traveling anywhere. Later that year, I met some climbing friends in Malibu Creek, and they invited me on a trip to Turkey. That was kind of the start of my obsession with climbing and far-flung destinations. Since that first trip, I've had the pleasure of traveling to Laos, Vietnam, Italy, Greece, and this next trip will be in Spain. I know it sounds pretty glamorous, but in many ways, it's kind of grueling. I always lose a couple days every time I travel to pack up the place where I'm at and prepare for the next leg. There's planning the itinerary, Figuring out what exactly I'm going to take with me. Yeah, I know. First world problems, right? And of course, there's the climate cost of flying everywhere. I want to think it's offset just a little bit by those eight years I was a vegetarian, the 20 years I didn't drive or own a car, and uh, the fact that I never had kids. And prior to 2016, 2017, I probably had taken a total of four or five international trips. But enough of me trying to justify my actions. The fact is, it's just cheaper for me to live anywhere else than it is in Los Angeles or New York, which I left. And once I'm there, I feel like it's something akin to a summer camp for grown-ups. There's people from all over the world congregating in one place and creating this temporary community with uh, a single passion that we all share. It's super easy to make friends. There's always people to go climbing with or to go on other excursions like the beach, going on a hike, going into town for groceries. I never have to eat meals alone, which as someone who spends most of our time solitary, it's a really nice change of pace. I love feeling like there's just this big giant family all around me. And of course with the internet, it's super easy to stay in touch with everyone back home. I mean, I came to L.A. thinking I would make a life here, but I've been here six and a half years. Granted, half of that was during a pandemic, but I feel like I'm still trying on friendships, jobs, and boyfriends, and nothing's really sticking. Yeah, I know. I keep leaving, so how can it, right? As many of you probably already know, I left New York in 2017 and drove across the country in a rehabbed ambulance. I'm still embarrassed by how hideous it was, but I swear to God, one of these days I will get over it. Anyway, I had two, there were two breakdowns um, of the mechanical kind. I'll talk about the second one first. I think I was going up I-90, like at a pretty steep grade, going uphill. This is in South Dakota, just west of the Badlands, where I had visited the day before. And all of a sudden, the power kind of cuts out, and I'm pressing the gas to the floor, and the speed is just dropping and everyone is starting to pass me. I look out my side view mirror and there is just this giant black plume of smoke billowing out the back. My heart drops and I pull over to the shoulder. 
I get out and I pop the hood open, as if I even know what I'm looking for. But hey, I know how to check the oil, so that's a start, right? As I'm standing there with my hands on my hips, under the scorching sun in the middle of July, a handsome stranger rolls up. He has dirty blonde hair, blue eyes, he's tall and tan, he's wearing like a not quite cowboy hat, like an adventurer hat, and a smile that's a little too charming. It's making me suspicious. Then again, I've been driving for like a thousand miles and company sounds kind of nice right now. So he offers his help and checks under the engine to see if he can suss out what's going on. He thinks it's the oil, which I had already suspected because I don't know what else it could be. And because he's carrying a pack on his shoulders, I can tell he's just walking and I offer him a ride. I scooch Arlo, my dog, into the back and uh, this guy hops into the passenger seat. Oh yeah, we've already exchanged names. And he gave me his name as like some Native American tribe, which made me feel kind of weird and icky because how dare a white man have the name of a native tribe? I don't know, that seems really weird. But I guess I can't really judge him since it wasn't, he didn't name himself, it was his mom who came up with the name. Anyway, let's call him Lakota. I wish I could remember some of the corny things that Lakota said, like he was cracking jokes left and right, but they were really bad. I was recording voice memos back then to kind of document what was happening, but unfortunately, I always recorded them while I was driving, and the diesel engine just drowned out everything, so I don't have anything specific. You'll just have to trust me on that one. So we get to the gas station. The oil is, frankly, a little low, so we fill it up. Or he does, rather. And because he's been helpful, um, I offered to buy him an ice cream. Even though at this point I can't really afford anything and I'm just putting everything on my credit card. I park the van on a side street. I let Arlo out and we go for a little walk with our ice cream. And Lakota is being like super corny charming. And I laugh to be polite. I had wanted to go see the crazy horse statue. So I tell Lakota he can, you know, ride with me as far as I'm going. By this time, I've already learned that he's pretty much hitchhiked his way from like Florida or Georgia, relying solely on the kindness of strangers. He proudly tells me that he left his home with only like $7 in his pocket and he hasn't had to spend anything really. He says back home he volunteers as a, at his church and so he feels like entitled, it's not the word he used, but it is a sentiment. He feels entitled to receiving kindness on his journey. And of course, this rubs me the wrong way so much because of course only a white man in America could travel in this manner. And also, I think the whole point of volunteering or giving yourself to others isn't with the idea that you're going to get it back, right? That defeats the whole point of charity. But I overlook this, and I'm overlooking his bad jokes. So we go to see Crazy Horse. It's not quite finished, and I learned that there's a lot of controversy around how it's being made, which is with dynamites. That's also how they created Mount Rushmore, and that feels so violent and unnecessary, especially if you can see 
the rocky hills in the Black Hills, they already look like these beautiful etched-in faces, which the Lakota already had a name for, the Six Grandfathers. So anyway, we visit Crazy Horse, and then afterward we head toward Custer National Park. We drive through the park around sunset, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Pink wispy clouds float above a rich, lush forest. I'm in awe. So is Lakota, and he turns to me and says, How can you look at something like this and not believe in God? And I'm like, no, it's light and refraction and water crystals. There's a lot happening. It has nothing to do with any kind of spiritual being. But he's very insistent about our dear Heavenly Father as being the creator of everything beautiful. And I tell him, if there's anyone, any kind of greater being that created all of this, it would have to be a woman. Women are the ones who give birth. We're about halfway through the park now, and he keeps going on about his religious beliefs, and I am so close to just kicking it out of the car right there and then. But instead, I offer a truce and tell him he can believe what he wants to believe, but that's not my belief, and we drive the rest of the way in silence. When we exit the park, I pull up to the first gas station I see and let him know that that's the end of the line for him. As it turns out, I don't drive more than 30 minutes when the black smoke returns. When I take it into a garage to get it looked at, it turns out it's something pretty major. They have to replace the turbo, and it's going to be about $2,000. I immediately break down in tears. I cannot afford a $2,000 repair, but my tears have a transformative effect on the mechanic. He tells me to hold on, and he'll see if he can work with the guys to bring that number down. He returns a few minutes later and lets me know that he can shave $400 off, which is huge. But they wouldn't be able to get the part until the morning, so I'd have to... I book a motel room nearby, and it's almost like $100, but at this point, I'm so tired, and I'm ready to sleep in a real bed after being on the road for so long. The guys at the repair shop give me a loaner car, and it's like this little hot rod set low to the ground, and the gas pedal set to, like, a hair trigger, which is actually kind of fun to drive the few miles to the motel. My room has two beds, and I'm very excited because Arlo can get his own bed. He immediately jumps up, play bows, jumps off, runs around the room, and back on the bed. He looks so happy, and it's making me super happy. The room is a nice treat for the both of us. As I'm lying in bed that night, freshly showered, under fresh, crisp sheets, in that cool, air-conditioned room, I can't help but think of something else Lakota said when I told him that I was leaving New York for the West Coast. You know, you can't run away from your problems. They're always with you. I had responded defensively. I wasn't running away. I was running toward. But was I? And every time I leave L.A. now, am I running away from my problems? But what if your problem is loneliness? And the only way you've found to cure it is to set yourself up in a little climbing town where you're surrounded by people who will share their meals with you and always offer you a belay.
If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing at strangewildanddangerous.substack.com or on Apple Podcasts.